You are listening to the Daily Homily for Magdala in the Holy Land. When Jesus looked up, he saw some wealthy people putting their offerings into the treasury, and he noticed a poor widow putting in two small coins. He said, I tell you truly, this poor widow put in more than all the rest. For those others have all made offerings from their surplus wealth, which she from her poverty has offered her whole livelihood. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful connection between the psalm and this gospel reading? Can you imagine this lady in God's eyes? For her is glory and praise forever. And Jesus expressed it. Glory and praise forever for this elderly woman. Maybe she was stooped over. Maybe she had to be very careful. Her bones were very fragile at this age in her life. And it's clear she didn't have a lot of material assets. And her heart was totally forgotten. Then we could say that verse we were just saying repeatedly as we prayed this canticle from the book of Daniel, glory and praise forever. Glory and praise forever. What I just said there is a little detail about the liturgy, that we have psalms, and today this is really a psalm, but it's not from the book of psalms. So there are many uh, instances of canticles, they're usually called, to not call them psalms, but really the same thing. And they are uh, poetic texts of praise of God or petition to God and that we find all through both Testaments, the Old and the New. And for example, the Magnificat isn't a psalm, it's a canticle, but it's like a psalm, but it's in the text of Luke's Gospel, as is the Benedictus and the Nunc Dimittis, now Lord, you can let your servant go in peace. These are three that are prayed every day in the Liturgy of the Hours throughout the course of the day. And it's nice to notice that, that we have quite a variety of forms in the literary text of the scriptures. And this one in the book of Daniel is all about praising and glorifying God. I want to point out uh, right away something of great interest for our times in the context of the first reading. And here we're talking about, you could say immigrants, but they were actually exiles, which you could use the word immigrant as well. They were in a, for, in, a, uh, in a foreign country, so they were received as immigrants into this country by that people, but they were taken there as exiles, <clears throat> and they had left their own country, and they were in a foreign country with a foreign language. And here we heard at the beginning of the reading that they were instructed in the Chaldean language. They were to be taught the language and literature of the Chaldeans. And the first time I met Chaldeans in abundance was in Michigan. In the great state of Michigan, the lake state, the great lake state in the United States, because there were a lot of immigrants precisely from Mesopotamia. I'm not sure where they were coming from exactly, maybe also from Iraq. And they were in Michigan, in the Detroit area, and a very prosperous, very industrious, very mutually supportive community with a lot of energy, no chip on their shoulder, really wonderful people. And it's interesting to see that this is the same people, and there's a Chaldean church with a hierarchy, uh, part of the Catholic Church. 
And that this text about Daniel is obviously centuries before Christ. And then eventually the faith reached their communities, probably not too late, because all of this area in the, in the Middle East is all connected, and these are all Semitic peoples. And they, uh, it was very easy for the gospel to reach these peoples. And they embraced the gospel, and they became deeply Christian. And that's why then, uh, because of all the circumstances and the turmoil in the Middle East, a lot of them had immigrated to Michigan and all over the world, for that matter. But particularly, there was a strong community there. In the school where I was teaching, Brother Ice High School, there were quite a few Chaldeans there. The point I want to make about is the attitude of these young men. They were young people. Don't underestimate the capacity and the importance of young people. And the strength young people can have to present their faith. And it's actually becoming a little bit familiar because of using Instagram each day to put up a live stream from the Sea of Galilee in the morning at sunrise. I have little by little come to know uh, the existence of quite a few young people who are working ardently as apostles of Christ on internet, on Instagram, also on YouTube and Facebook and so forth, but Instagram was more, especially in its beginning phases, apparently in milieu for young people. So there are others meanwhile since then that I don't know a lot about, like TikTok and others, you probably heard these names. So here we have young people that are in a very uh, committed way living their faith. And they're living it in an environment that doesn't understand their faith and would readily wipe it out. But what's very interesting here, and this is the point that's really, I find, speaks to me very strongly for our times, because we're in similar times. We're in times when we meet and encounter and not just the situation of conflict, like we have very intense here now in the Middle East, but uh, also a big tension between living faithful Christianity and a secular environment around us. How do we deal with that? How can we have the space to practice our faith in a world that, because of the nature of the development of the world through communications and just the force of dominant culture, how can we have the space to live our faith? And it's interesting that these young people got the space. And how did they get the space? Not with force and say, we're stronger than you, give us the space. No, with very beautiful, cordial friendship and trust. Even though they were the underdogs. And they were able to do this in a wonderful way. <clears throat> and <clears throat> they negotiated with the head waiter. And he was worried because he was under pressure from his people to accomplish the mission he was assigned to raise up a whole cadre of young people from the different cultures that this empire had dominated and integrated into their empire. And they wanted to really integrate it. And that's a huge lesson also for our Western world that has received a lot of immigrants and sometimes there's very little contact. There, thanks be to God, there are also many groups working positively for that integration to learn the language. That's 2,000, 200, 300, 400, 500 years old text, okay? Or experience and then eventually a text. 
So this is a very interesting fact, the effort to do it. It's also very beautiful to see the deep conviction of these young people to live their faith. And they're not doing it in an antagonistic way. They're living their convictions, and there's a freedom that they win for them to do it, a space where they can do it. And it's a relationship of trust. And they say to the guy, let's give us a try. Give us a chance. Let us prove ourselves. And then he saw that they were the best. There we also see God's hand working in our lives. And it's a small thing they did, but look at the big things God did through Daniel and those kids. It's a small gift the widow gave. And look what God did through that small gift. We remember the five loaves and the two fish. We remember a bunch of simple fishermen from the Sea of Galilee and the whole Roman Empire has changed. Small readiness to give it all. The disciples in the Sea of Galilee gave it all. Abraham gave it all. What a very small beginning. An elderly, shriveled up man and his wife going to be the father of a multitude of nations more numerous than the stars of the sky and the grains of sand. Or in Moses, who stuttered, he wasn't able to do public speaking. And he's the one that God said, come, are you ready? And he said, I'm all in. He took a bit of convincing in that, but, you know, look at all the prophets, Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and the others. And Moses brought the people out of Egypt. And the prophets took on their own people. That's sometimes much harder, to be a prophet in your own house. And they were suffered. Jeremiah particularly tells about his sufferings from his own people for trying to get them to line up with God's plan. But it's interesting that this small one person, that's not from the establishment, that's not in the position of power broker, and God uses that leverage of the small little gift done with generosity. There's a lot in this for us today in these readings. So I encourage you to, to gain hope and then also to apply in your area the methodology of these kids. Talk to the people. Build trust. Do it with little steps. Build relationships with neighbor who is Muslim, an immigrant from Africa, a person that's atheist, another person that's agnostic, another person that's very hard on you and makes fun of you. And build trust. Find the way. Find the thing that they like. Learn their language. Learn a few words to greet them in their language. Smile. Nobody is hurt by a smile, usually unless they have very bad will. Kindness. A greeting. Build trust. Build with little steps. And you know what we will see in the world? A lot of glory and praise forever. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to learn more about Magdala, follow us on YouTube and on Facebook. 